Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep. The Eyes of the Panther by Ambrose Bierce, first published in the San Francisco Examiner, October seventeenth, eighteen ninety-seven. I was reading and trying to track down the actual issue of the newspaper. There's a reading about uh, Bierce's, how he got hired uh, by that Hearst company. Um, And uh, somebody came to his door. It was this young kid with very blue eyes. And he says, I assume Mr. Hearst sent you. And uh, the young kid says, I am Mr. Hearst. (laughs) 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 and uh they had a tumultuous relationship um uh, he didn't like working for hearst i believe but uh he kept doing it and uh he kept trying to quit and he couldn't get quit for a long time uh probably because you know he was given a, a modicum of freedom um but I, I don't really know. A lot of his, his stories were published in newspapers first, and a lot of them were in the, the uh, San Francisco Examiner. It's unfortunate I don't have a copy of that for us or anyone to look at because I'm very curious as to what it would look like in shape. Uh, the version I read it in is actually from a newspaper as well, but it's from an Australian newspaper. Uh, 1828, I think, it, oh, sorry, 1928, March 5th, a newspaper called Smith's Weekly, which I, I quite like looking at because it had beautiful illustrations. This one, no exception, makes, inspires me to read the stories, you know. Huh. Uh, what's lacking from this one is, uh, chapter headings, uh, chapter titles, um, and even chapters. Um, it's, it's a pretty short story, but... Uh, that was something Bierce is well known for. I think his most famous story, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, uh, is broken up into three chapters, and uh, it's it's something most people don't do. I think, but um, reading the chapter titles, I find it's even more obvious that difficult relationship I have with him, which is. I want the story to go a certain way, and he he's going that way, but he's going to do it his way. Um, so I, <laughs> I remember when I sent you uh, this, and you read the the first chapter title, you had a little giggle. <laughs> yes, I did. This is supposed to be a horror story, in my view, but it it doesn't work out that way. Not when he does little giggles like that. Wow, that's what you think, huh? I think, yeah. Okay. Just for the sake of, of people who may be kind enough to listen to us, I do want to point out the little blue-eyed young man um, who was the had control of the San Francisco Examiner got it as a gift from his father. Indeed, right. So it's it's. I mean, Hearst did become quite a, an extraordinary figure, but he didn't manage to get a hold of the San Francisco Examiner on his own. No. It's the beginning of his career. And there are a lot of things that are hidden when we look through history. And you're looking through this story and you're thinking, I want it to be a horror story, mm-hmm. but it's making me giggle. So I would love to hear you. Uh, let me give a quick precy of it. Um, make sure that you and I are reading the same story. Mm-hmm. Then I'd like to hear 
what you wanted it to be and what you think it became because from what you've said so far i think it's something else mm. no there there we go as is so often the case that's part of the point of conversation mm-hmm. um, so the story is a nested narrative and a narrator presumably omniscient um tells us about a man and a woman who are having a conversation and basically the man says why won't you marry me and you know i've asked you so many times and she says because i'm insane and he <laughs> says you're insane and she says yes i am and then proceeds to tell him uh he says well you've got to tell me you know why you think that since clearly i don't and he she proceeds to tell him about her um birth which was affected by her mother being frightened by a panther mm-hmm. um and in the fright of the panther um she in the woods uh which is where they lived her parents lived um she, the mother tremblingly held her baby not the woman we're talking about um the, held her baby to protect it against the panther who was standing on its hind legs and had its forepaws on the sill of the window uh and the father, an outdoorsman, came back with food that he had killed. He found the woman, um, and when she opened her arms, she had strang- she had suffocated her own baby. Mm-hmm. Three months later, we are never told that up to that point the woman was pregnant. Three months later, our main woman is born, and she feels that anybody who was born under such circumstances, because prenatal influences can affect how one feels and how one is, must be insane. Um, This fellow disagrees, but she says, yes, she is. And there are hints of werewolfness throughout all of this. Or um, I I don't know how to, I know lycanthropy. Yeah, pantherapy instead of lycanthropy. And uh, he goes out and to make a long story, she leaves uh, later, um, in fact, he thinks that he hears a uh, a rustling outside of his own house. The fellow who wanted to get married lives on the edge of town because he's a, a still uh, quite uh, poor lawyer, but the only one in town. And uh, he's got a house out there just so that he can say he has a house. He really sleeps mostly and boards at a hotel in town. Uh, And he hears a rustling. He goes outside. He thinks he sees a panther. He shoots. And when the body is discovered, it is, in fact, the woman. Um, So, ooh, we are so scared. And uh, then we find out that, uh, in fact, the the woman's body had been buried by the father, right? The old man Marlowe. And she is given a burial. And the last line is, uh, but it was no panther. What it was is to- what it was is told even to this day, upon a weather-worn headstone in the village churchyard, and for many years was attested daily at the graveside of the bent figure and sorrow-seamed face of old man Marlowe, to whose soul and to the soul of his strange, unhappy child, peace, peace and reparation. Now, it's not clear whether that word reparation is on the tombstone or it is the omniscient narrator Mm -hmm. wishing um, reparation and to whom is reparation being wished? 
by either the engraver of the tombstone or the narrator. If this is an omniscient narrator, it is not an omniscient narrator who just tells us everything because this is a viewpoint when mm-hmm. it says that. So that's the story. Ooh, ooh turns out that the, perhaps even the husband who went out to get food for the woman who was holding the baby, that is the woman's father, our would-be bride or a wouldn't-be bride, her father, maybe he was um, in fact the panther looking back in on his family. Mm-hmm. He frightened her to death. There's all kinds of issues of ambiguous responsibility here. And that ambiguity is real regardless of whether or not there is shape-shifting. So that's, does that sound like the story you read? That's absolutely the story I read. Okay, now, you wanted it to be a horror story, but when you later came upon the chapter headings, you found that it got giggles, and you started to wonder. Yeah, it- well, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't just that. Uh, one, one of the one of the tricks. He, he, he's a very tricky guy, Ambrose Pierce. He, he employs the same sort of tricks over and over again. Uh, one of the things he does is he says, uh, "There's a there's a um, there's a story." probably written in the same newspaper I'm trying to remember the name of it now but it he, he has a um one does not eat what is always presented before one on the table is the chapter heading or something like that um and it's it's a it's about an examination of a of a body right so there's a body on the table he's making a joke about um you know here's a funny situation so the chapter headings do that Right, one does not always marry when when insane. That's chapter one's title. Um, he's already setting the jokes down. Now, um, then the the story proceeds, and it's not humorous until we get to the narrator's take on it, and he says something which is rather extraordinary. Um, he says, "Let's set aside what she." Uh, actually said, and have me tell you what she, what what actually happened, right? Yes. And I, I'm like, what? <laughs> Why are you doing that? Um, and it me- it seems to me that the narrator isn't just some you know godlike figure who's just giving us the facts and uh, presenting presenting it as neutrally as possible, but rather he's trying to squint and and and. Uh, Tell us. It's almost like it's almost like it's Ambrose Bierce himself, and uh, it, it's like Ambrose Bierce reads a horror story, and then he says, "Let me tell you how it actually was," right? Um, yeah. And that the, uh, we just just the the line where the narrator comes in is, I think, part of the giggles. Um, Right. So Jenner Braiding is the name of the lawyer who wants to get married. Irene Marlowe is the name of the woman he's been asking repeatedly. And so the story told by then he listened in silence to the story told by Arlene Mar- Irene Marlowe. We don't get to because he continues the narrator immediately in deference to the reader's possible prejudice against the artless method of an unpracticed historian meaning Irene, Mm -hmm. the author ventures to substitute his own version for hers. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing, right? That, that he thinks he has this right, but I would put it to you that this is a crucial justification, but I won't say why now Mm. because I asked you to pause. Mm -hmm. Please proceed. 
Yeah, and then uh, we get the the second chapter title, um, and then we get a, a different scene, right? A room may be too narrow for three, though one is outside. Now, this one, uh, because it's not in the original version I read, I was like, um, okay, what does it mean? <laughs> like, I, I get the joke in, in chapter one title. I don't get it in chapter two. And yet I'm, um, I'm pondering it, it. And maybe it's really obvious, but this is a log house. It says, in a little log house containing a single room, sparely and rudely furnished, Crouching on the floor against one of the walls was a woman, clasping to her breast a, a child. Outside a dense, unbroken forest extended for many miles in every direction. This was at night, and the room was black, dark. No human eye could have discerned the woman and the child. Uh, yeah, so who's seeing it, right? We are. <laughs> so he's right. playing, he's playing uh, a fun game. And then um, the vision comes, right? Uh, at the at the window, uh, the eyes, and what does this mean? A room may be too narrow for three, though one is outside. Who is the one? Is it the husband staring in? Is it the uh, panther? Is it the um, one the the baby child? Because in a way, it makes me think that. This story needs to be, it's, it's like demanding to be read subversively rather than, you know, it's a were-panther story. It's a, it's a psychological story. And this is a, she literally is a mad woman, right? And that she's literally killed her, her, her child uh, because she's going to be birthing another child in three months. And that, so the, where, where's the room? Is it the, uh, the this a case of infanticide? Like, it, it's... I, it makes me reevaluate it, and I don't think that this chapter title is a joke exactly as much as it's a wry sadness, right? That she's basically practiced infanticide uh, because she doesn't think that they can live on it. On, on, you know, in this tiny yeah, yeah, that's 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 a possible reading of it. I think another possible reading of it is that the. Since this is a room for three, um, the husband, the wife, and the babe in arms, one of them who is outside is the husband. Mm-hmm. And whether it is she who thinks that the room is too narrow uh, and then allows herself to smother her child uh, since she is already six months pregnant, or it is he who does it is a matter that is not decided. I, I would point out, uh, since you've talked about the possibility of the, the mother doing this and she being insane, that there is a very significant bit of Canadian folklore, which is characteristic, well, characteristic of the Indians of southeastern Canada, northeastern United States, Athabascans and so on, called the, there's something called the Wendigo psychosis. Mm-hmm. And uh, so apparently you know about it. Mm-hmm. I'll just briefly remind you. That I first came upon it in an anthropology uh, course, uh, just as Western culture enlarged, in, in such as people like you and me, Jesse, um, 
are more likely to be schizophrenic than any other particular psychotic diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Other diagnoses that are tend to come out in uh, different cultural domains. The Wendigo psychosis is based on the myth of the Wendigo. Um, What happens actually, according to the ethnographers, is that um, a father in this hunter-gatherer community, um, at times of scarce resources, like the winter, will go out seeking food for the family and will be unsuccessful. And then... The Wendigo will come back, this cannibalistic monster. Mm-hmm. The Wendigo will come back and cannibalize the family. And when, in fact, the father is found, he will be there in the tent or the log, the log house um, with the remains of the body of his family around. Um, he has become the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. And you get bitten by the Wendigo when you're out there. And you become that. You become crazed the way you can become vampiric by being bitten, bitten by a vampire. And apparently, the Wendigo is uh, not just a myth, but there there's attestation of people falling prey to this Wendigo psychosis. I mention it simply because one could just as easily say that this father who goes out to get food And there's so much about the necessity of him doing it. And the wife says, please don't go. We have enough. Mm -hmm. But he goes anyway. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing we know, she's sitting there by the cook fire having gone out. And he's looking someone, some predator is looking in through the window. She recognizes the eyes and is terrified. Um, So it could be, I think, read easily that it's the father. Who's doing it? Mm-hmm. Whether or not changed into a a were panther. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I watched one uh, a TV adaptation where they they do they both are uh, they are both panthers in the end, right? Um, the father and the daughter. Ah. Um, now, thing is, um, I I I, I could have related it to the Skinwalker, which is a Navajo similar thing. Right, and uh, of course, I, I don't know if you know what prompted me to um, go after this story. As you know, oh, Ambrose Bierce definitely. Um, not just the art, but um, I'm fascinated with the origins of of monsters. Uh, you know, so basically the universal monsters, the ones that you know, like uh, uh, Frankenstein's monster and Dracula and uh, the werewolf, and uh, some of them are very obscure. Uh, werewolf, you know, there isn't one novel that that definitely did it. The werewolf movie is the one, but werewolves are in in human literature all over the world, and going back to the Roman times, right? It's not it's not uh, the um, Norse st- uh, s- legends or um, sagas have werewolves in them, just like they have dragons, right? Um, but the 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 Catwoman, right? is something that is a little less common and we even have it with Batman right Batman's uh uh a Batman and then there's Catwoman so where did it come from where where did it, where this seems to be the uh the western origin of it um and there is a story that um does what I want it to do much more straight up <laughs> whereas this one it's it's through Beersian lens right so he, he 
it's almost pathological. It's not cynicism exactly, but pathological um, uh, irony that he has. That I I like irony, but I don't like it all the time. I think for him it was like a brain tumor. It just was always uh, going on. So there's a story called The Begita, which is by Val Luton, and it got turned into a movie called Cat People by Val Luton um, that takes the same story, you know, the same premise. There's a lady. She can't marry because she's a uh, a panther. And then does uh, a much more straight-up weird tale. Whereas this one is... It, it, there is a weird tale in there. But uh, let's talk about Chapter 3's heading. The theory of the defense. Right? It isn't a court case. So why is that there? The theory of the defense makes me think of a court court case, but actually, and we've got a lawyer, right? Uh huh. But then we are proceeded to, you know, Jenner Jenner Brading, um, the lawyer. Uh, we're proceeded to not have a court case, and in fact, we have a bunch of people show up just as another sh- another event takes place at the window. And there's something going on. There's another story that um, that Beers has uh, that's set through a window. I, I, I can't remember. It might be the suitable surroundings or something like that. But it, there's something going on with the window. And it, it happens twice in this. This story's incredibly dense, right? It's about 25 minutes to read. But it, it's incredibly dense. And it's, it's, um, it's hard to know exactly what he's doing. But the effects are... It's almost like a gothic story uh, overlaid with, with a, a wry distancing irony. So I, I don't know what to make of that. What do you, what do you make of this idea in, in part three? That it's a, it's, is, it a, is it a defense of... Like, what, if she is a were-panther... <laughs> let's just take that as um, a ferment. I really have trouble with this story because I, I don't understand it exactly. If she is a really a were-panther, what does that mean? Werewolves, I understand pretty well. It's like a man going crazy um, and attacking his, his fellows, right? Um, it's literally where the word, you know, wolf's head, you, it means for like a, it's a, to describe a bandit or a, an, out, an outlaw, somebody who's not protected by the law, um, somebody who preys upon travelers, somebody who can't be trusted, right? And, and someone who... Uh, puts on the cloak if not the actual girdle and the fur, they put on the cloak of, of a werewolf and become uh, a danger to humans the fact that she's described as live very early on and that she's got uh, her dresses patterned in a odd brown markings, right? In the illustration uh, they look like panther or cheetah cheetahs on her dress right so we're, we're being told she's a oh a were were panther at least but if it's a defense what does that mean whose defense i have a theory please please help me let's go back to what the narrator says Um, about his justification in deference to the reader's possible prejudice against the artless method of an unpracticed historian the author ventures to substitute his own version for hers 
That is the 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 author, uh, but we would use the word narrator more accurately. But it's it feels like Beers mm-hmm. thinks that he can steal her voice, and he can say this is how it's to be seen. Now he clearly is not telling the story that she knows, because at one point he said this is something that that even she did not know. Right. Right. So he's making up this story. I would put it to you. This is a male narrator. He's omniscient. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that he's reliable. Mm -hmm. Look at how the story begins. A man and a woman. Nature had done the grouping. Okay, so don't don't blame me. Sat on a rustic seat in the late afternoon. The man was middle aged, slender, swarthy with the expression of a poet. Okay, Mm -hmm. like, for example, a writer, and the complexion of a pirate. He puts on the face of someone willing to to rape and pillage, which I would put it to you is this narrator, author, as well as this man. Mm-hmm. A man at whom one would look again. The woman was young and graceful with something in her figure and movement suggesting the word lithe, Much, you know, panther-like, sure. She was habited in a gray gown with odd brown markings in the texture. Okay, so that she's got her expression, he's got his expression. She may have been beautiful. One could not readily say, for her eyes denied attention to all else. They were gray-green, long and narrow, with an expression-defying analysis. One could only know that they were disquieting. Cleopatra may have had such eyes. So he's giving her, he is asserting this narrator, whom I think we will later come to realize is unreliable, he's giving her um, sexual power. She is the one who can captivate and kill kings. That's Cleopatra. We have an age difference here. There's a middle-aged man and a young woman. And the young woman, the narrator calls, an artless historian. Both the man who says, you owe me an explanation for why you won't marry me, and the narrator who says, I'm going to substitute your story, your version of your story, with my own. They put her down. If you look at Charles's, Charles Marlowe, her father's marriage, we have Charles, who is a middle-aged man, and his young wife. Mm-hmm. Consistently, every relationship between males and females in this story is a relationship of a more powerful, more mature man and a woman who is known simply by the fact of her youth and fecundity. And here we have a woman who is denying what the mother, what the, father, the man wants. That is Irene, whose name means peace. Notice the tombstone or at least the narrator's final comment, peace mm-hmm. and preparation. Her name means peace. She wants peace. She says, I'm insane. You can't marry me. But she's not insane because of this. Right? She's not at all. She wants to get away from this guy. And the, and her mother did not want the father to go out. The father would not be denied. One could just as easily read this story as a conspiracy of men to put women in their place, to deny their sexual power, which is undeniable, You know, they get children by coupling with men, and so men are drawn to them. There is no doubt. They want to marry. They do have children. But 
men will not accept that the women have a right to define their own independent uh, activities. And so the defense here is a defense against the society saying, look, you ran out of your house, you're shot, you killed her. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we're told it was well known in the village that she had denied his marriage proposals. And in fact, something is made of it. That's quite unusual because usually it's the woman who would say, no, he would not marry me. But here there's a turnabout. He is acknowledging that a woman has rejected him. Amazing that he should do that. It's no wonder that when he fires a gun and her body is found, people say, you must have killed her. Mm -hmm. But the defense is, oh, no, no. She was a panther. I shot a panther. In mm-hmm. fact, her mother was frightened by a panther when she was in the womb. There is a, a sometimes considered to be the first American science fiction novel is uh, a book called Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, Sr., the the, uh, the father of the jurist, a physician. And Elsie Venner, the main character, her mother was scared by a snake while the mother was pregnant. And so out comes this character, Elsie, who is half, her personality is half snake and half woman. She hisses when she talks and she undulates as she moves. Mm-hmm. So Bierce is functioning within a tradition that uses a rhetorical device that says, ah, see, we could accept this. We've seen this before. It's a horror story. But in fact, this needn't be read as a horror story. Right. It could be read as a story of men conspiring to think of women as monstrous so that if they won't do what they want, what the women won't do what the men want, they can kill them. At the end of the story, Irene, whose name means peace, is wept over by her father because he perhaps realizes what he has done and contributing to this anti-feminist world and he says you know his he wants his strange unhappy child peace and reparation how can she ever be repaired for what has been done against her Mm -hmm. only if people will look deeply enough to realize that women have the right to say no that women can control their own bodies They don't have to marry, and their only escape need not be to become ferocious monsters. I think that you're right. There's there's, that way is definitely. In fact, I think that is really my problem with this story is that that's the truth of it, right? That there is no Were Panther, that's all projection. Uh, And the author is telling us that very early on. This is on uh, in the first chapter. Uh, The woman was smiling, through her tears and her pallor. That did not stir any sense of humor in the man. A very funny way of saying it, right? And then, quote, No, there is no reason for that. A reason for not marrying me. I've a right to know. I must know. I will know. That's the man talking. He had risen and was standing before her with clenched hands. On his face, a frown. It might have been called a scowl. He looked at as if he might attempt to learn by strangling her. This does not sound like, um, you know, 
an amorous love affair. This sounds like you're going to marry me, and if you can't explain why, boy, you right? She says I'm insane. Um, it's her only defense, right? Because in the world in which that man has power, an attractive, although you can't really say how attractive she is, right? A lithe young woman would be crazy to resist the uh, proposal of a man the newspapers called the greatest legal mind of his generation. Mm. So she buys it. She says, okay, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. That's why you can't marry me. Mm -hmm. She's trying to use anything she can find to mm -hmm. get out of what she does not want. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very um, against what I want it to be because it's just too, <laughs> it's just too scary. <laughs> I much prefer it as a, all symbolic, but he, I, I think he's he's very good at um, making us more cynical. I mean, that's what really he was, right? He's super cynical, um, and rightly so. Um, the final yeah. chapter is called "An Appeal to the Conscience of God." Um, I think that that uh, has got to be readable in more than one way. I mean, that's that's the ending, right? Uh, what it says. Or what it doesn't say on the gravestone. But who's the God here? Is it us? Jesse, one of the great things about beers and our conversations is that there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. Thank you.